You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. We're going to continue in our uh, uh, service this morning, our worship and uh, sermon this morning is based on Ephesians. If you haven't been here before, we're in Ephesians chapter 1, and I think we're all the way to verse 4 or 5 after four or five weeks, but uh, we're moving slow and deliberate. So uh, if you'd like to turn or open your app to Ephesians uh, chapter 1, and we'll begin reading at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Well, welcome. How's everybody doing? Good. Got some feedback. We're good. Man, my name is Bill Vecchi. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so excited to dive into verse 5 and 6 with you today. Um, I don't know about you. Uh, this is a little off script from what I have, but I was sitting there singing that song, which I love, as the deer panteth forth the water, so my soul longeth after you. You alone are my heart's desire. And I long to worship you. And there was a bit of a conviction in that moment for me because I think throughout my life, throughout my day, throughout my week, I don't always feel like that is true. That he is the only thing that I long for. That he is the only thing that I desire. Um, and so what I want to do is I just want to go before the Lord right now in prayer. Um, the Lord says that, that conviction is to lead us to him, to his feet, to his throne of grace with confidence so that we will find mercy in our time of need. So maybe you're like me, you're coming in here this morning feeling like, I feel a little distance, I feel a little dry. Um, so let's go before the Lord and have him uh, stir affections in our hearts and our souls for his words, because that's what we're talking about this morning, his words. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for... Thank you for um, the beauty of these words that we get to sing and praise. And um, God, even as the mic feeds back and clicks in and out, 
Um, God, I pray that your name would be glorified. Uh, because, God, this isn't about um, us, but it's about you. And because it's about you, you reveal to us your love, your mercy, and your grace for us. And in that, we sit and we rest and we enjoy. And so thank you, Lord, for this moment that we get now to open up your word. And I pray that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're here in Ephesians. We're in chapter 1. All right. I don't know what's going on. We're, uh, we're actually, I'm really thankful for our AVL team. Let's hear it for them. Um, because often I think when problems happen, people think it's their fault. But it's not. We're having new gear installed. And as we're having new gear installed, it's just getting used to the new stuff. So um, they're doing a phenomenal job. Uh, but as we jump into Ephesians 1, and we're starting in verse 3, this is one big thought. So we can't just take verses 5 and 6 kind of out of context and just talk about it. We have to see it in the whole of this passage. Because uh, when Paul is writing this under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that, that he's... he's Writing one big thought, verses 3 through 14, is just this big thought. And it's all under this banner of worship. He starts off in verse 3 by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's putting this under praising God. Blessed be the God and Father. Worship God. It's kind of like how the Lord's Prayer starts. Hallowed be your name. Right? So we're, we're, he's putting all of these attributes of God and what God has done for us under the banner of our worship and our praise. So even as just we just sang, as we're looking at the word right now, as we pray, all that's worship. Our lives, a living sacrifice of worship for his name. And he's putting it all under the banner of, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with Christ. And then last week, we got to speak about being chosen. What does that look like? We don't have to be fearful of that. I think sometimes we can come into a church and then we're like, where do you stand on this and this and this? But, but the Bible uses the word. So we don't have to be fearful of it. That God chose us, and this is a beautiful thing. Before the foundation of the world, before he spoke mountains, before he spoke trees and birds and fish and platypus, he knew your name. And he chose you. This is beautiful. And so we sit in this. And now this week we get to talk about adoption. And I want to tell you a story of a precious little girl. This little girl uh, is related to me. Um, she is my sister-in-law. And I know that that may seem weird because she's only seven at this point. Um, but my in-laws, uh, John and Kelly... Uh, adopted a little girl from China. Her name is Zara. They actually adopted two. Jade is their oldest, and then Zara. Jade is 10, 11. And then Zara is 7, going on 8. Um, and um, Zara, before they adopted her, uh, they knew she needed a heart transplant. She was having a lot of heart complications. And so I would love for you to just turn your attention to the screen. Uh, we want to show you about a three-minute video just to give you a little uh, picture of what adoption looks like. Um, and then uh, we're going to get diving into this passage. We raised our family and really thought that we were finished having kids and just felt like there was something missing and it always had kind of had adoption in the back of our mind. 
when our youngest was 15, we had gone to a Christian concert and they were passing out the little folders that talked about, you know, sponsoring a child. And I, I handed it to my husband and I said, you know, what if we just adopted instead? We decided about a year after we got Jade that, well, Maddie's off to college, you know, she's 18, Jade's three, and she's gonna be an only child. And so maybe we should start the process again. So we, we did. I get a text that says, Maddie, would your parents ever consider adopting a baby that needs a heart transplant? She has a condition called endocardial fibroelastosis. She said she will for sure need a heart transplant. I said, that's not gonna happen. Like, we're too old, wouldn't be fair to Jade, wouldn't be fair to our grandkids. It was kind of off the table. Once we saw her picture, there was just so many things that happened in our lives that really kept bringing us back to the face that we saw in that first text that we got. We were constantly being reminded of her throughout the next couple of months and really slowly changing my heart for her. It was a difficult choice, but we really strongly felt like the Lord was leading us to her and really feel like God had chosen her for our family before the foundations of the world. When we first boarded the plane to China to get Zara, you're full of emotion. If you don't know how this child is going to respond, it's kind of a shock to them. and You kind of take them from all that they've known, and from that moment on, they're your child. When we came home, we got in to the doctor, and the doctor said she does not have endocardial fibroelastosis, which is almost inoperable. She has something called Alcapa. We think we can correct this, is the good news. The bad news is her heart is four times the size of a normal child's heart. It takes up her entire chest cavity. Every single second that we wait, every single heartbeat, it just grows her heart. It's so sick and so they wanted to do surgery right away. She had her first surgery eight days after we returned home from China. The poor little girl, you know, she didn't know us almost from Adam, and so it's all trauma to her. Peekaboo! It was when she was waking up from her surgery that I'm like, this little girl is a fighter. She has been through a lot in her 13 months of life, and that was just the first time I realized that she really had to fight for, for everything, every breath that she took, and every time her heart would beat, it was just um, her sheer will to live and to, um, and to thrive and to survive. So, such a beautiful story. I know you couldn't see some of the scenes in that, but um, such a beautiful story of adoption. Um, and I don't think sometimes when we see a story like that, we recognize and realize how much our story connects and relates to a story of adoption like this. 
we were once helpless and hopeless, just like her when she was in this orphanage in China fighting for her, her life. And she could not save herself in that moment. She was in an environment where she was headed towards death. She was destined for death. And she needed a heart transplant. You and I, in our sin, need a Savior to come and to take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And every second we wait to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we get sicker and sicker and sicker. And the darkness overwhelms us. And each one of us has been through our own stories. We all come into this place with, with stories, that things that we have struggled with, uh, whether it's hurts, habits, hang-ups, whatever it may be, we, we struggle but we have a God who has fought for us even while we were dead, when we were weak, when we were helpless, when we were hopeless, Christ died for us. That's the good news of adoption. And then we transition, when we place our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we transition from an orphan to a child. But even that process doesn't just like happen and then all of a sudden it's just like for the rest of our lives we remember and realize that we are now a child of God. We're in this process of sanctification. And in this process of sanctification, we are remembering over and over again that we have already been adopted. And so even with our adoption, we have uh, one of our middle daughters is adopted, Hope. And she's wrestling right now. She's seven going on eight and she's wrestling with her identity as a vecchio. As a child of our family, she's wrestling because she sometimes doesn't feel like she's one of us. But the law states that she is one of us. The judge has stated it, like, and, and we have a birth certificate with her name on it. With our names as her parents, she is ours forever and ever and ever. And so she is in this process for the rest of her life, remembering that she has been adopted that she is an equal heir as a vecchio. She is not some fourth child that's on the outside, but she is one of our children. She's no less than our, our biological children. And same thing with Zara, same thing with Jade. And so, as we jump into this idea of adoption, I want us to rest and, and even celebrate what God has done for each and every person that is in this room. So, Ephesians 1.5. If you have a Bible, grab it, open up. In love, this word love in the Greek, we use Greek because that's what the original language was written in. In love, that word is agape. It means unselfish, unending love. He predestined us. Again, we don't need to be fearful of these words. This is beautiful that God chose you before the foundation of the world, that you were his, predestined. And what were we predestined for? For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God loves you so much that he doesn't just tolerate you. So, do you ever feel that way? You feel like God just like puts up with you? Like he doesn't just tolerate you. He loves you. He desires you. He adopts you. I love what David Platt says. To be a Christian is to be loved by God, pursued by God, 
and found by God. This is the beautiful reality of the gospel. And so here's what I want to do. I want to bring some context. I'm going to talk about the who, what, when, where, why, how of adoption. And then what I want to do is talk about this transformation that we experience from a child of wrath to a child of God. Sound good? All right, let's dive in. Who? What's the who of adoption? Well, first it starts with God. And I think sometimes when we look at an adoption story, we look at it through the lens of the child. But really the adoption starts with the parent, the pursuit. All right, so it starts with God, all-loving, all-powerful, everywhere God who chooses you through the person of Jesus. Verse 4, God chose predestined a people to be holy and blameless. So what does he do? What does it mean to be adopted? We receive the rights and privileges that belong to the Father's children. This is what we see in verse 11. Look at verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. This inheritance is that we get to be with God for all of eternity. That everything that belongs to him now belongs to us. Doesn't that sound pretty cool? Like, doesn't that sound amazing that everything that belongs to the God of the universe, which is everything, belongs to us as his heirs? And that we, when we are glorified, when we get to spend eternity with him, we receive that. When does he do this? Well, when we think of adoption, we think... It's at the moment that, like, the gavel hits the, the podium, right? Where it's like, okay, the adoption's final. No, 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 no. Verse 4. This adoption, when does it happen? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, the Lord had your face in his mind when he was hovering over the darkness. This is a beautiful truth. Where does this happen? Well, honestly, wherever he determines wherever he determines. See, each one of us has a grace story. A uh, traditional word would be God story or testimony. And each one of us have been through different situations and things in our lives where, where we, um, maybe, maybe you have the story of, I got saved at a young age. Or maybe you have the story of, I really screwed things up in college. Or maybe you're sitting in it right now saying, I'm making some really bad decisions right now. Or maybe it's, maybe when I was 40, something happened, and then all of a sudden the Lord did something inside of my heart and in my mind. So our stories are all different. So when it happens, it's up to God. But it's, all of our stories are different, and that's the beauty of our testimony. Even though I might say I was saved at a young age, and you may say the same thing, our stories were different. And our stories are unique, like a snowflake, like a leaf on a tree. Why? Why does he do this? Because he loves us. Verses 4 through 7 talk about he's doing this according to the purpose of his will, for his praise, his favor, his pleasure. 2 and verse 6, the praise of his glorious grace. He does this for his name, his glory. So he saves you to glorify himself. That's good news. And so how does he do this? Through Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. By grace. And so adoption transforms everything. It transforms everything about us. So we make this transformation from a child of wrath to a child of God. Now, why do I say child of wrath? I want to I just give us some, some context to the child of wrath statement. Because in Ephesians 2, verse 3, this is what Paul is about to say. So he doesn't say this yet, but he's about to say this. He says, we... 
talking about all, right? You want to know the Greek for that word all? All. Okay, we tracking? Every single one of us, no exceptions, we were by nature children of wrath when we are born. I don't have to convince parents of this. I remember this one very vivid moment with Selah, my oldest, who does similar things just in a bigger context right now. Um, she walked over to our dog food bowl, and I was like, Selah, she was about one, one and a half, and she was like, I was like, don't touch the dog food, and she stuck her hand in the bowl. And I was like, do not pick up the dog food. I was like, do not drop that on the floor. Right? I didn't teach her how to do that. Right? What do children do when they're angry? They hit, they bite. They didn't learn that from Lauren and I. Like when we get angry at each other, we're not biting each other. Right? Something in them deep, the sin nature. So by nature, we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, what does he do? He adopts us out of that, out of our destruction, out of our death. And last week what we talked about was that we can't play the fair card in this. Because often we say, well, it's not fair that God would, would do this for some and not others, or that God would adopt some. Like, we can't play that card because we were all children of wrath. So the fair card would mean that we all are destroyed. That's the fair card. Like, the thing that is fair is that you and I pay the penalty for our sin. No exceptions. The good news is that God has come to give us life and life to the fullest. That's the good news. And so we get to experience by grace through faith a transformation from this child of wrath to a child of God. So what do we experience in this? Well, first, a new father. The transformation from a child of wrath to a child of God is that we have a new father. Now, let me preface this. I know for some of you, you have some bad experiences with a father figure in your life. Whether it was abuse, anger, drunkenness, um, abandonment, whatever it may be, you have an experience with a father. So as soon as I say a new father, you, you, could, you put up this kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't like the way that feels because of something that has happened to you in your life. But I want you to know that that is sin and the devil trying to convince you of something that God is not. God is not distant. He is not abusive. The Bible talks about him. He is all loving. He is full of grace and mercy. And so when we talk about God as our father, we have to understand that he is the perfection of what a father is. Not a replication of what you know as a father. I had a great father growing up. He was not perfect. But what God is, is a perfection of who my father should have been. For my daughters, I am not perfect. But what I want them to know is that they have a God who is. And in his perfection, he is all loving and merciful and gracious. And so in a new father, we have one that gives us provision, daily provision, that pardons our sin, that protects us, that gives us safety and discipline. Oh, we don't like that word. He gives us safety, that's protection. And he also gives us discipline, that's protection. If my daughter's about to run into the road, I need to make sure she knows not to run into the road. And so sometimes in our lives as parents, we need to discipline our children in a godly way in order for them to know this is going to lead you to destruction. That's God protecting you. 
You know that conviction you feel when you're living in sin and you shouldn't be? That's God protecting you, drawing you closer to him. And then, this new father, we receive praise. Has anybody ever just wanted their father to look at them and say that they're proud of them? We have a God that looks at you because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and says, Aaron, I love you and I'm proud of you. We have a God that looks at you and says, John, I love you and I'm proud of you. We get all the praise we need in him. That's the new father that we receive. So we have a transformation from a child wrapped to a child wrapped because we have this new father. And then what? Well, I love what A.W. Tozer says about a new father. I'm going to take off my sport coat because I feel like this may be hindering the Wi-Fi signal. I don't really, yeah. No whistling, all right? Um, that may be better. Nope. Maybe if I just stand here. All right. Bill, don't move. A.W. Tozer. You sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. God being your father should excite your soul. It should bring joy to your heart. And then, this transformation leads us to a new family. A family to enjoy and encourage you and walk with you and give you accountability and lift you up when you are down. I love the picture of the birth certificate. And I think we have Zara's birth certificate on here. Zara was born in China. I don't know if they even know who her parents were. But in the moment of adoption, there is a name that is written on their birth certificate. This is beautiful. Lauren and I have this for hope. And what does it say? And you might not be able to see it. At the top, it says Zara, Mayen, DeAngelis. And for the mother's name, it says Kelly. And for the father's name, it says John. Even though they were not in the hospital with her, they are her parents. They are her family. Jade, who she did not know while she was in China, is now her sister. My wife, who is 20-something years older than her, is her sister. She gets this new family around her to walk with her, to celebrate her, to, to sing at her birthday, to lavish her with gifts and love and mercy and grace. This is the beauty of being invited into the family of God. Ephesians 4.2 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I love that verse because I feel like it really illuminates that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that God has called us into in his family. That, that the journey that we are taking as God is refining us to be more like him is not an alone journey. He has invited us into a family with one another here, local body and worldly body, that we get to walk with one another to pursue Jesus, to sit as his feet. I love that uh, some of our community group leaders and leaders got together on Friday night to sit and pray and worship together. Why? Because that's what we've been invited to do. 
We've been invited to enjoy one another. And if you're um, maybe here for the first time, thank you so much for being here. We're so thankful that you're here. Um, But the Lord is inviting you to set some roots in somewhere so that you can walk with a family, that you can live in community with a family. And at some point, you know, we're looking for the perfect church. And let me say something. Um, If you find the perfect church, please leave because you're going to ruin it. Let that sit in. Churches aren't perfect. We're made up of mixed up, messed up, broken people. The church is not a place for the healthy. It's for the broken. It's for the sick. It's for the lost. But we, people who are broken and sick and lost, we actually get to come together and pursue Jesus together. Not perfection. Because if Tim and I are striving to pursue perfection together, we're going to fail. But if we get together and we strive to pursue Jesus together, he through his spirit, will begin the process of transforming us more and more like him. Pursue Jesus, not do's and don'ts. Fall in love with Jesus, not legalism. But as we fall in love with him, he does change us. He does transform us. And I love it. This wasn't a new as a family, a new family. And then we get this new inheritance, and I love it. This wasn't a new idea for Paul. Um, this wasn't something that was new in their culture either. Um, even in Luke chapter 2, um, we see uh, Caesar Augustus. So Julius Caesar, he was the paternal great uncle, and he adopted Caesar Augustus. And in his will, um, he leaves everything to Caesar Augustus. So he inherited, uh, Augustus inherited Caesar's name, his estate, and his loyalty of his legions. And so this idea wasn't a new thing for Paul back then. So when he's speaking of adoption, it wasn't like, oh, that's just something we do in our age or in our day or in our culture. No, no, this is actually something that they did back then too. This promise um, that we get is a new inheritance. We get all of him. And it's not just a current health, wealth, and happiness. That's not the inheritance that he's giving us. Because I know for us sometimes when we... um, hear maybe people on TV or the radio talk about the gospel, sometimes they say, hey, if you believe and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, everything's going to go great for you for the rest of your life. You're going to get everything you ever wanted, health, wealth, and happiness. That's not what this book says. Don't believe that. We are going to experience trials of many kinds. But, 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. God has an inheritance that is waiting for you. And too often as finite humans, we think that we need to experience the fullness of life on this side of eternity. But we won't. I know that's why you came to church today, right? We're not going to. If I didn't tell you the truth, I wouldn't be doing what the Lord has called me to do. We will not experience the fullness of everything that we want and desire on this side of eternity. But when we are called home, to our forever home, we will experience everything that we can ever ask, think, or imagine, and even more so. We can't even fathom how amazing our inheritance will be when we get to be with Jesus.
So we get a new father, a new family, a new inheritance. And lastly, a new purpose. And this is huge. Because I think we can get all these things. Yeah, new father, new family, new inheritance. But the purpose is big. Because we were predestined, chosen, in light of mission. And I think sometimes when you start looking at these words, chosen, predestined, we start thinking, oh, then I don't have to do anything and people are just going to come to know Jesus whenever they do. No, no, the Bible's clear. We are commanded as his children to go out and be his ambassadors, to share his good news with every man, woman, and child. And so we now have a new purpose, why we exist. Just as the deer pants for the water, so my soul should longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire. Our purpose shifts and changes from I want what I want to what he wants I want. It changes. It shifts. And this is a good shift because I can tell you that all of my desires that I've ever wanted that are sinful have always led me to destruction. Every single time. Without fail. There has never been a pleasure that was sinful that I have experienced that has not crushed my soul and my spirit. The devil wants us to think that. Oh, look at this piece of fruit. Tasty. Try it. It's going to give you everything you ever wanted. But it only leads us to death. And so our purpose shifts. When you are born, your purpose is to glorify God. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> when you are born, your purpose is to glorify yourself. But God chooses you to make his name great, to glorify him. People really are struggling with belonging in our world. Agreed? People want a place to belong. They are searching for identity. And we are called to be ambassadors of his love so that they may find a place to belong. Find a place that is loving. And this should be a joyful mission, a joyful allegiance. We should never uh, go out to share good news with people begrudgingly if it's truly good news. This adoption transforms our identity. When God calls us home, when God allows us to take our last breath, whenever that may be, or he returns again, I want us to picture this in our minds. And if you would, close your eyes. That we have a God, a Father, and a brother in Jesus Christ who is going to be standing there with open arms waiting to welcome you home. And he's going to speak over you, welcome. I chose you before I made the world. I sent Jesus for you. I arranged history so you would be right here in this moment. I carried you when you were weak. When you tried to run away, I chased after you. I love you. Welcome home. This is the father that is waiting for us. This is the father that wants to have a relationship with us. This is not about a religion. This is about a relationship. And so as we sit here, as we think and focus and fix our eyes on him, I want us to know that God loves you and he has adopted you. That you are of your life. 
whatever that may look like, even if this is the first time you've ever heard this, that you have a father that will always be there for you, that will always care for you, that will always chase you down when you are trying to run away because he loves you and he offers you everything. So what do we do? We receive it (laughs) and we enjoy it. Let's pray. Jesus, I do pray that we would enjoy the beauty of our adoption. God, I think of uh, even yesterday that we got to spend time with, with Jade and Zara um, just to experience her giggles and her laughs and her enjoyment of our family. God, that is what you've invited us into in your family. You have invited us to enjoy the family of God. You have invited us to experience a fullness of adoption in you. God, thank you for, in love, predestining us for adoption through Jesus, according to your will, to the praise of your grace. God, sometimes it's hard to understand this. Sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds around this. And so, God, I pray that in those moments where um, our unbelief begins to kick in, when the devil begins to attack us, God, I pray that your spirit would do only what your spirit can do and, and cultivate in us an understanding that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we have already been adopted, and that our names are written in your book of life. And that book states every single person that has found a new identity through Jesus and now has you as their father. So God, I pray that we would experience you as our father, that we would experience the new family that you have invited us into, that we would trust in this inheritance that you have set for us in heaven and that we would go out on mission with a new purpose to share your good news with every man, with every woman, with every child. We love you and we thank you. And this is in your name that we pray.